From the CDE Foundation, this is Lunch Bites. Hi everyone, I'm Karen Warner. And I'm Glennon Stratton. Welcome to Lunch Bites. Here on Lunch Bites, we talk with educators about innovative practices, resources, and practical solutions to benefit our students and our greater education community. Today, I'm happy to welcome our guest, Carla Bryant. Carla is the Executive Director of the Center for District Innovation and Leadership for Early Education. Welcome, Carla. Hi, Karen. It's great being here. I'm really glad you're here. Could you tell me how you're connected to the education community and what drives you to do this work? Definitely. I'm connected in two ways. One is just professionally and one is personally. Professionally, I have over 30 years of experience. I'm the former chief of early education for San Francisco Unified School District. I did that for seven years. And prior to that work, I was a chief strategist for the city of Seattle in the mayor's office of education. And I have to say in that setting, I learned the value of working with a team and a team with a real clear focus. And that actually comes out later as we talk about the work that I'm currently doing. And then lastly, I have over 10 years of experience with Head Start and early Head Start in various roles. But the second thing that really drives me and brings me the passion for this work is after 25 plus years of doing this work, I considered myself a expert early childhood person. And then one day adopted two of the most amazing children. And I can tell you that I learned that I knew nothing until I adopted my babies. And I have spent the last 10 years apologizing to all moms and dads and grandmothers that they gave me grace when I did not know what I was talking about. But they bring the passion and the love for what I do because I'm trying to see it through their eyes and what they need. It sounds like you bring a lot of heart to what you're doing as well as a lot of expertise. So I appreciate that. You know, When I was a new teacher, I noticed there's a lot of acronyms when you're talking about education. And when I was first getting to know you and I saw that the acronyms for your work are DIAL, E-E, so D-I-A-L-E-E. And it made me wonder, what is it about the work you're doing? How is it supporting young children? So Dow EE focuses on the intersectionality of a couple of things. One is the work of districts. And that's the first part of Dow, is districts. The second end of Dow, the EE, is early education. And so the intersection of early education, which for us, typically people are thinking preschool, but we clearly see infant toddler because a lot of districts actually serve infant and toddlers, but It's the children between the ages of zero to eight years of age. That's the early ed. The leadership or the administrators of those programs within a district. And the innovation, the idea there is early education is an amazing profession. It is so diverse. But at the same time, the opportunity in a district to innovate 
and to think through how to serve our diverse children, we saw as an opportunity. And to do that with multiple districts that sit in different settings, not only in urban settings, but in rural settings, because the reality for them is different from what it is for an urban setting. The innovations are this energy that happens between those groups, those groups who are interested in early childhood, that are in a district, that come from multiple settings, serving children from diverse settings, diverse families. I know that you've recently been working on a report, a white paper called Recommendations for Home Learning. Can you tell us a little more about that? In the words of my son, is it COVID? <laughs> that is his favorite thing. And he's an eight-year-old. And his thing is, if we can't do something or something's more difficult, it's COVID. And the recommendations come from just that reality that abrupt change in our reality. But for children, they are basically trying to see how you can keep things as even keel as possible. And that was the paper. The paper was, how do we continue to appropriately serve children in the earlier grades? And the earlier grades, again, being those children from zero to third grade, infantile to third grade, and the Dial E fellows, and we call ourselves fellows, or we call them fellows, are these eight to nine to 10 districts who are sitting here going, what do we do? And how do we do it? And how do we do it appropriately? The white paper came from that. So what are the things that we must do for the children who are now at home with parents who honestly are working? And for some families that are not, that we can provide them what they need to continue their education while at the same time support them socially and emotionally. And so we came up with what we thought were three very solid ideas. One is that they needed materials and those materials had to be appropriate for their age. And that looks different from what a three-year-old who's in preschool all the way up for a child who's in first grade. And not only did we come up with what the basic materials that the children needed, we created actually a resource where schools could go in and click on and find those materials at a very low price. The second one was technology. And the technology came up when we started to see that Chromebooks, which were appropriate, were going home for the older students. And so the group decided, what is the technology that a three-year-old should have versus a child that is six or seven years of age. And they did the research on what the technology should be or could be, and they even talked about how much time should they spend on a device. And then the last one was the support. All of a sudden, parents are being told, you are now the teacher. And we always have seen parents as the first educator, but this was a kind of shift in how they were doing the education role. And so we came up with recommendations around how do we support the families? And I will say all three recommendations are things that honestly are things that we should do when we get back to the new normal. Right. Well, I really look forward to looking more specifically at these recommendations. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
Have you signed up for the California STEAM Symposium yet? Mark your calendars for December 11th through 13th and join us for this year's virtual event. Hundreds of peer-led breakouts will highlight strategies and innovations that work for all students in every learning environment. Visit steamcalifornia.org for more info. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here with Carla Bryant, the Executive Director of the Dial EE program. Carla, how do you look at the intersection of early education and STEAM? I think they have a lot in common, starting with the most obvious one, which is the hands-on materials or the idea that children should be interacting with the materials versus in some other settings where they're just learning about them or they're looking at them. But it's that active learning engagement, the belief that not only are children to actually physically touch the materials, but they also should be able to engage in them through dialogue, a give and take, a back and forth with not only the adult or the facilitator, but the other children. And then the last part of it, where I think the intersectionality, there is something that socially occurs with those interactions, that in the field of science, when children are doing that, or when adults are doing that, the growth that you see in the children, the confidence that you see in them when they're using those materials and talking about their materials and taking risk. And some of those risks work and some of them don't. And they are learning that it is okay. And those are some of just of the basic beliefs that I think that you see in the early ed world, as well as you see in the STEAM world. I completely agree that hands-on learning is critical and it leads really nicely into the first recommendation in your white paper about having materials and utilizing hands-on learning experiences in early education. Carla, can you tell us a little bit about why this is so important? Yes. If I may, I would like to illustrate why this is so important. If you think about young children, they're learning new words, they're learning how to describe and understand, describe different things and understand their properties. I think this one illustration would explain why the importance of hands-on materials. I could give a child a sheet of paper with the picture of an apple, and they could color that apple with a red crayon. But do they know an apple? But if I hand them an apple and let them play with it, cut it up, eat it, they will learn the shape. They will learn about sweet. They will learn color. They will learn about texture. What you can learn with the real thing is always more than what you could learn if you just had an illustration of it or a picture of it. At this young age, the vocabulary is coming in for the children. Again, visualize that piece of paper. How many words would they actually learn about an apple versus having that hands-on material? That is such a wonderful illustration, Carla. Your white paper talks about technology and has some recommendations around technology. Can you share more detail about that? Yes. If we think about COVID and what occurred immediately after everyone sheltered in place, Schools appropriately started to hand out a lot of Chromebooks for the older children. The question that 
the fellows with the Dial E struggled with was, so what is the technology that our children who are ages three, four, five, six years of age should actually use? Is a Chromebook appropriate? So the first part was, what is the tool that we use for the children? And the recommendations were, maybe instead of a Chromebook, a tablet, a touch screen, and even something as simple as a smartphone. The next part of this is, now that we have the device, how many minutes should a child actually be on that device? Again, here we have this most powerful tool, computer, Chromebook, tablet, phone, touchscreen. Do we just hand it to the children? And if we do, should we talk about how many minutes they should be on there? And we decided that we look at the research. The issue was not only the minutes, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't have a child on these devices for a lot of minutes, but also the support that they got from the adults with those minutes. That they're not sitting alone, that there's someone there with them, and the devices had to be thought about in conjunction with the other types of ways that children are sitting with devices, i.e. the television, a game board. And so we just basically said to everyone, think about your child, think what else is going on in the house, in the home, and think about the total minutes with this. And then that moves us almost to our third around the support that they would get from the adults that the adults were there to make sure that the children understood the activity, that there was some ongoing interaction. And remember in the beginning when we talked about the importance of interaction, the feedback that they were getting from their peers, but also from the adult or the supporting person who's sitting next to them. So the technology is powerful when we consider how we can use it in conjunction with the children. What makes it harmful is that if we just hand it to them and there's no one there to support how they're using them and how often they're using that device. But we also saw it as, and I'm gonna go back to the support again with the adults. This is an opportunity for the teachers to build this relationship with the adults or support system in the house. To sit with them and say, here's an activity I'm gonna do with your child, but this is one that you can also do. So they're literally working with the child, but also providing ideas and building this collaboration with the family. So we looked at technology as a way that one, that we could impart information, but also gather information from the child and the family. I really like that approach, that it's holistic and it's not, here's a Chromebook and go. It's thinking about the entire child's experience and really the entire family's experience. And you acknowledge the third part of your white paper, supporting families, which I think everyone is realizing that having parents as education partners is critical in these times of distance learning. But it is also very stressful. And these are very stressful times. And one of the things your paper called out is that children experience the stress of their environment and the stress of their family members. Could you talk about the stress that children may experience 
and how adults can contribute to or mitigate that stress? Oh, yes. This is one where we have an opportunity. We are all living an unusual time, but this time can be looked at as an opportunity for us to build these amazing relationships with our families. We've always believed in this philosophically. We've always written about the importance of the parent being the first educator, but here we are. They are the educator. And they're in a new role. One part of me as one of those parents who's also at home with a child who is actually looking for some normalcy. And so we are thinking that this normalcy looks like let's replicate what happens in school. We have to work with the parents and talk with the parents about what makes sense that we can actually replicate. And I'll give them a perfect example of what everyone had to abandon quite quickly. This idea that my child is in school six and a half hours, and now at home, I need to do six and a half hours of school. Well, first of all, the child already knows that doesn't make sense. And so the stress that we were causing because we thought they needed this six and a half hours had to be rethought. And here you have this child who's thinking, I do want that old routine, but it doesn't make sense in this setting. So what do we do to bring this stress down, but also continue to provide six and a half hours, which if you eliminate lunch, breaks, going to the restroom, taking 20 kids, it's actually two and a half hours or two hours, and change this in such a way that we reduce this child's stress. But those two hours to the parent feels like six hours when they're trying to work. So this tension that's going on is, and I'm going to keep saying, this is an opportunity for the facilitator, the teacher, to have a dialogue with the family about what makes sense for them. And how do we re keep things as normal as possible, but as real as possible based on what we're working with for the child. And I've heard some professionals talk about it is not their job to do childcare. They're right, it's not. But in these times, it's our job to be as supportive as possible and to understand that the parent is stressed because they're trying to work and trying to give a two hour day that should be six hours to a child who's looking for a six hour but can only operate in a two hours. So <laughs> we all just have to step back and really think through how the support it looks and how it looks for each individual family based on the needs of the children. I really appreciate that idea to take a step back and realize the moment that we are in and think about how we as educators can be most supportive to the families that we serve. Carla, to close out, we have three questions that we like to ask our guests. What are your hopes for students? My hope is one that they get through, and I hate to use that word, I don't want them to get through, I want them to actually excel and soar during a very difficult time. So my hope for them is that despite what they have been given, that the supports they're getting from their family and from the schools will allow them 
to actually see what they can do because now they have these hands-on materials. Now they have more of their parents' time. Now they have a chance to spend more time with maybe family members. But I hope they're able to thrive despite all of this. This is the hope. And an amazing hope at that. We all want to see our students thrive, and that, that is such a wonderful way to look at it. Where do you go to for inspiration? My children. I know it sounds corny, but I really do. They are thriving, and they're thriving because we've had great support from the school. We have support from family members. They maintain their belief that they will see their friends one day. They like going online. And then that is their number one reason they like going online, actually, is they get to see their peers. And I have to hope that an education system that pre-COVID needed some modifications, during COVID and post-COVID, we will take this as an opportunity. And that is what keeps me going is the constant pushing of everyone that we don't have to go back to the way it was. We can actually make it better. Let's use this as an opportunity to make it better. What is the one thing you want our audience to take away from this conversation? I want them to take away from this conversation that every last one of us are responsible for the world in which we live in. And that when we are asking our children to be better than that, we should be asking ourselves the same thing. Despite everything is going on, and let's just acknowledge what's going on. We're in a pandemic. We're in a fiscal depression. We're having serious climate change, and we're in civil unrest. Please, we have to see another way. We are in those four things, not because it happened overnight or because of four years of someone. It is because we have created this. And so if we want to create a different reality, this is the day that we do it. And I'm looking at the STEAM and I'm thinking about the symposium. And I know at that symposium, this is a time for us to start talking about how we can do this better. That's my hope. Carla, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Lunch Bites. Thank you. Remember to join us for the Virtual California STEAM Symposium, December 11th through 13th. Visit steamcalifornia.org for more info. Lunch Bites is produced by the Californians Dedicated to Education Foundation. Our executive producer is Allison Peter. Our editor is Darina K. Guerrero. All of the recordings and resources mentioned during today's discussion can be found on steamcalifornia.org.